Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Hi, I'm Ryan Meeks, and after years of trying to make life work as a struggling artist, independent filmmaker, and musician, I thought to myself, hey, self, wouldn't it be helpful to ask other artists how they're finding their path in this world? And so now, that's exactly what I'm doing on a bi-weekly basis. Welcome to the Path of Art. All right, welcome to the Path of Art. Today we have Mary Sauer. So Mary Sauer is an artist. Um, she's from Tennessee originally, but uh, Kentucky. Kentucky. Oh, geez, it's one of those Bible Belt places. Yeah. I think I did the opposite thing. With no, it was actually the same exact thing. Oh my gosh! With one of my other, I, I interviewed <laughs> the artist that uh, that did the Misfits uh, album work and. Um, oh. He was from Kentucky, and I said Tennessee. I don't know. I just have some weird thing with confusing those those uh, states up. But anyway, so just those two. <laughs> yeah, just just those two. But uh, so Mary's here with us, and uh, so Mary's an artist. She lives in Utah, and uh, she has a career that is just doing so well. I mean, first of all, her art is amazing. Is amazing. If you haven't seen Mary Sauer art, just Type it into Google and you'll just see some of the most amazing paintings uh, and you'll probably want to buy them. But they are going for thousands of dollars. And that is like, as you know, when you're an artist, that's what you want to see. And so um, there's, there's, there's just tons of great things to say about her. She's been in magazines, galleries, uh, all over the place. Welcome to the show, Mary. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, sure thing. Um, a little disclosure here. We did go to painting and drawing together up at the U. However, she was a graduate student under up there, and I was an undergrad. But um, that is where we met. No bias. No bias, yeah, yeah. But I was just like, hey, I should have Mary on. But um, her, career, her career really does speak for itself. So, um, Mary... Uh, Tell me about your most known work. Yeah, sure. So I would say it's interesting because most of my career has been, and my passion is working from the figure, mm -hmm. which means having a live model and painting or drawing either from a model sitting for you or from photos that you take of the model and making an art composition from that. Mm -hmm. um, but what's super interesting is I'm finding that my work that's posted on social media, like especially on Instagram, you can you can instantly see how many likes something gets, right? Right. And so um, I, in the last couple of years, have started 
taking my figurative work in interior settings a little digging deeper and doing paintings maybe where there's a figure present or maybe where the figure's absent altogether. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes kind of a portrait of the space. Oh, yeah. And crazy enough, I have this painting of this really messy kitchen from this tiny apartment in Paris. <laughs> and it was such a small place. They had the washer and dryer like right next to the dishwasher. Oh, wow. And... I mean, that painting has been, like, shared and re-shared more than anything else I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And there's no figure in it, so that's it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you focus so much on the figure. Just to have a non-figure painting mm-hmm. be, like, one of your biggest things, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. but at the same time, even though the figure's not present... Right. It is because it's a space that someone lives in. Right. And so you probably picture that figure there in your mind, right? And like the mm. clutter and like all of the utensils and everything, the pots and pans, all of the tools that you use in the kitchen are there. Right. And it shows that someone's been there. Yeah. It's right. it's not like a kitchen that you would see in a, a magazine or like a model home mm-hmm. where everything is pristine and perfect. Right. And so... It's it's interesting how mm. one thing can lead to another in a way you don't expect. Right. And I love that about painting. Right. And so the figure actually is very present still in that. That's, that's Even though it's really cool. not. That yeah. is really cool. I like that. So uh, tell me about your more recent works. I mean, we mm-hmm. kind of did touch on that just now, but uh, is there something you're working on right now that you're really excited about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. actually. Um, so just... Well, I'm kind of working on a few different series at the same time. Like the like I said, the interior work is something that not very many people do in art. And so mm-hmm. I have a gallery in Boston that is always asking for more paintings of interiors. And I mean, those are hard to come by because mm-hmm. I can't just fly to Paris every time I want to do a painting. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. And um but so I'm I'm working on those and simultaneously um I'm doing a kind of new series of pieces that are figures with uh like a patterned background. Mm-hmm. And so what that does it's like a fi- a figure in a space but yet there's sort of this dreamlike quality because the background is the opposite of an interior it's like a flat plane with no atmosphere Mm -hmm. and so the volumetric three-dimensional qualities of the figure next to this flat surface Mm -hmm. creates this like interesting juxtaposition right and so um there's there's a gallery in new york called arcadia gallery and they're really interested in those figurative works with the um with the design, wallpaper, tapestry, Mm. whatever backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And so I've been kind of playing with that. And there's this painting that I found by this British artist called Sir Cedric Lockwood Morris, I think. And he did this beautiful, like floral kind of impressionistic painting. Mm. And so I took that and it's luckily like, you know, three years or four years within the date of copyright expiration. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so I can steal it. <laughs> <laughs> Appropriate. That's the that's the, the proper 
yes, the, the, the proper name of it is there's actually an art form <laughs> called appropriation. Yes. There's an artist that does a ton of it and he gets a lot of flag, yeah. but he does it. I mean, but it's I'm I'm copying this mm-hmm. deceased British painter's work and so right. it feels like stealing but it's okay because it's legal and so i don't feel that bad right and so yeah. i'm taking that and using that as like a backdrop for this figurative painting the portrait of this like female mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of like a new direction and just kind of pushing some boundaries of work that i've done in the past and it's super exciting to work mm-hmm. on it and just see how it kind of unfolds in the studio so Trying to get a group of those together and oh, good. see what happens. Well, it sounds exciting. So, Mary, how would how would you describe your art style? Yeah, yeah. So I'm really interested in juxtapositions. Mm-hmm. And so whether that's like emotional or whether that's in the quality of the process of how the work was created. Mm-hmm. So like um, another kind of painting that I've done recently um, because in the last few years I became a mother. So I've been doing paintings of children. But yet I I try not to focus on like the sweet and the idyllic. I like to have this like beautiful child, but yet maybe there's like sadness or like emotional qualities to that expression of the child's face or there's Mm -hmm. like longing or, you know, like it's, it's really important for me to stay away from something that feels like too sweet Mm -hmm. or like too cheesy, for instance. So you're looking for kind of a bittersweet. Yeah. 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 That's a good way to describe it. Like there's nothing sweeter Mm -hmm. than my four-year-old daughter named Blythe, but yet I don't want to, I want to paint her in a way that kind of like expresses like her emotions rather Mm -hmm. than like the times when she's being an angel. All right. So what are the biggest influences in your art that that you can attribute some influence to? I'm really interested in lots of painters, both like deceased and contemporary, like probably my favorite um, technical painter is John Singer Sargent. And I love the painter Soroya. I love Mary Cassatt. Um, I love the pre-Raphaelite painters, mm. Waterhouse, and like the French naturalists. Basically, the epitome of people working from a live model and creating mm-hmm. like a very natural, beautiful representation of life. Right. Which happened, kind of peaked at the like late 19th century Mm-hmm. early you know kind of before the impressionist yeah and of... a little bit like simultaneously right yeah not that the impressionists aren't great as well but right yeah but i, I understand what you're going for and and john singer Sargent. one of the things i love about his work is that like of, of course there's an underpainting to to define you know what what's there and but there's always just like one stroke that like mm-hmm. gives the complete definition of something. And it's like, and it just makes it look like he's just like, that's a nose, but it looks like a nose and he just did one stroke or something. You know, there's always it, the the large strokes that mm-hmm. he does. It's just so incredible that it looks as detailed as it does. Right. When up close you look at it and instead of 
you know, like painting a nose and getting every little pore in there. Yeah, which is what I try to do and everyone <laughs> tries to do. It, it's like four brush strokes and right. it looks more like a, a nose, nose than yeah. painting every pore. Yeah. And so that's that's something else that I try to do in my work is letting the viewer like understand what they're looking at, mm-hmm. like with a representational style of painting, but at the same time leaving out enough information that the viewer can fill in the blanks. And so I've discovered this not only in painting, but like in reading and like studying anything where um, if if I'm searching for meaning either in what I'm reading or looking at or listening to and I'm allowed some space for interpretation on my own as the viewer, mm-hmm. um, it kind of creates this sense of like a aha moment or like it feels in some ways like a divine intervention where like you're you discover what you're looking at right and those moments when someone discovers something or learns something or interprets it in a way that feels like unique to them Mm. those are the moments that people remember and make your creative process have meaning to them And they will sometimes remember those moments for the rest of their life. And so for me, making creative work that gives people those experiences that they discover or they learn or they process something or see something in a new way is like the ultimate goal of what painting can do. Whether that's in like the style of how it's created, which is a more exclusive set of people that would understand something on that level mm-hmm. or like the subject matter altogether and what you're trying to convey regardless of whether it's a painting or film or whatever the medium. So how do you balance like being a mom, you know, being an artist and anything else that you, that you, that you do? How do, how do you work that out? Yeah. So um, when I was, in when I lived in New York City, I was working at Jeff Koons Studio in Chelsea, and he's a like very wealthy, very famous pop artist. He mm-hmm. does like balloon animal sculptures, is what he's most known for. And okay. so I was an artist working in his studio, helping create paintings in the series. And I just noticed like there's so many women that work at this studio, and many of them are married, and few have children mm-hmm. even if they are married and so that that really scared me because it was it seemed like there was this idea that you know once you have children then you have to devote all of your time to that and your chances of continuing your art career go down significantly mm-hmm. and so that scared me and then we ended up coming back to Utah and I did my MFA at mm-hmm. University of Utah and same thing, like there's lots of women in the arts, very few have children, even though many are married. Mm-hmm. Or if they do, it's more likely that you have one, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe not any more than that. And so I I felt like a lot of my time at my master's degree was like investigating this idea of like, you know, why is this and why is this myth perpetuated so strongly in the arts, especially. And so um, once I was done with school, I felt like it was the right time to be a mom. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I was scared because I thought, okay, this might be the end for me, but 
I'm far enough along that, you know, I feel like this is the right thing to do. And as an artist, you live by your passions, right? Right. And you do what you feel in your gut and you make what you feel is true and right. And so, you know, there I was with my first kid and everyone said, well, don't worry because newborns just sleep all the time. And yet Uh, mine didn't. I mean, (laughs) in the first like four months, you get no sleep. You know, because you're always getting woken up to take care of the child. Yeah. And like some babies take long naps and some babies take like 30 minute naps Mm -hmm. 10 times a day. Right. And so you can't do anything. And so, you know, a couple of months in, I just felt like even though I love my child, I felt like I was being suffocated Mm -hmm. because I was no longer like being able to just lose myself in my studio mm-hmm. and bring that like creative center where it needed to be like it had been for years and years and so i i kind of begged my mom like please we watch my baby a couple hours a day for me mm-hmm. and so that went from like 3 hours a 3 hour chunk like a couple times a week to now that same child is 8 and I have three kids, and I have somebody that watches my kids from, like, noon to five, Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's like, 25 hours of, like, dedicated studio time that I'm paying for. So I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, like, that time is super, like, valuable and precious to me. So where do you sell your art? Yeah, yeah. So... um I was lucky because kind of like between my bachelor's degree and my master's degree, I started like we moved to New York City Mm -hmm. and working at Jeff Koons studio. I was like right there in Chelsea in the middle of all of like the hip galleries. Okay. I was like looking at work all the time and trying to figure it out. Connections there? I I made connections not necessarily with galleries, but Mm -hmm. with People that were also trying to be in the galleries and trying to figure out the art scene Mm -hmm. and with people that knew like what kind of competitions were coming up and knew like what kind of schools that you could take like night classes from, from these amazing places that, you know, way less expensive than just going to the art school and going into like crazy student loan debt. Mm -hmm. And so I, we were there for about two years or was it three? Three. We were there three years. And while I was there, I got lucky and I not only had friends that were artists, but I had neighbors that were like models for fashion photography and people that studied, you know, and were professionals in all these different areas that were super cool. So I had, I had access to um, subject matter in painting that if I had stayed in Utah, I would have never had access to. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to do some paintings like pretty early on in my career that kind of got attention and like won awards really mm-hmm. early on. And then um, I ended up being like on the cover of American Art Collector magazine when I was like 25. Okay. And from there, there was just galleries that were reaching out and contacting me and asking if I would send them work. We're going to go to a quick break and we'll be back with Mary Sauer.
A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Path of Art. We're here with Mary Sauer, and uh, we're going to go into her path now, just, you know, how she got to where she is. So, uh, Mary, what got you interested in art in the first place? Oh, my goodness. I I mean, I knew when this, like, my earliest memories that I wanted to be an artist. Mm-hmm. I, I remember um, being in kindergarten and having to fill out this bio paper about myself asking like, what's your favorite food and what's your favorite color? And for some reason, I think my mom just filled it out for me and I looked at it uh, and it said like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she wrote doctor. <laughs> and I thought, there's no way I want to be a doctor. I want to be an artist. And like, this is oh, kindergarten. Wow. And so, like, I just always knew that that's what I would be. Mm-hmm. And so I, I find it interesting because a lot of artists that I talk to, like, seem to sort of discover that, like, when they're in college or, like, maybe even later. But Or never discover it. <laughs> <laughs> we just do a bunch of art forms. Yeah. And we enjoy doing all of them and never find focus. Sorry, I'm just talking about myself. <laughs> But no, I mean, it was, it was like in elementary school, Mm. I would, I would win awards for my art. Oh, wow. And Mm. I didn't know anything. It was just like doodles with crayons, you know? Mm -hmm. And I would think maybe I'm actually good at this. And Mm. then it just developed into like a passion and a love from early on. Mm -hmm. And it worked out like growing up where I did because I grew up in the country where there was like one stoplight and 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 one gas station. And, you know, I You're describing E from Utah right now. Yeah, it was like that. (laughs) Only greener. Yeah. Yeah. I I imagine that Kentucky is a lot greener. The same number of cows. (laughs) But do they have the same number of turkeys? They have a a whole turkey farm down there. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) That's the difference. Right. It's turkeys. But I mean, it was just... Like I would just go outside and be in nature and mm-hmm. I would I would draw trees and I didn't really have very many friends, but I didn't care because I would draw and that made me happy. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. There was there was really no other So you just like, kinda plan. you just kinda knew it, you know, mm-hmm. from when you were young. Yeah. And so well what experience led you to pursuing your passion as a career? Yeah, so I mean, I I also was really serious about playing piano when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And that was something else, like painting, that I could just like hide in a corner and do on my own and not have to talk to people. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so no wonder I liked it so much. Mm-hmm. But um, funny enough, like when I, when I went to um, my undergrad school, which was BYU, mm-hmm. I applied for the visual arts program and I didn't get in. What? I got turned down. What? And I was like really panicking. And so then I thought, okay, 
I'm going to try music then. And so, like, I went, I practiced and practiced really hard for this piano audition. And Mm -hmm. they're so mean. Like, they make you have the music memorized in your audition. Like, you can't show up and just, like, read the music. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I get really bad stage fright. So I sat down. Mm-hmm. I played the first chord in front of the entire piano faculty, which I had heard was like competitive with the faculty at Juilliard for how impressive the piano program mm-hmm. is. And then I didn't remember any other notes. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh no! And so that didn't work out. Uh-huh. And so I remember just going to the faculty and saying, "Like, please, what can I do? Like, <laughs> right. I want to be an artist. I don't know what to do." And so there was this kind teacher that said, "You know what? Just get a bunch of weird, random, ugly stuff from your kitchen." This was Joe Ostroff, mm. and he told me just find weird, random stuff from your kitchen, put it together, and make some drawings, and. He ended up telling me that, like, not only were my drawings, like, so beautiful, but maybe even good enough to get a scholarship. Wow. And so I ended up, like, getting in that way. And, you know, that – it just always felt so right to be an artist that, like, by the time I was done with my undergrad, um, I didn't – I didn't really have time to take a breath. We just, like, moved to New York and mm. – just jumped right into it. And so then I was just like constantly looking at art and going to shows and seeing like what's selling at this show and what's not selling Mm. and what does this gallery want to hang on their wall and what do they not want to hang? And like, where do I even fit into that equation? Right. You know? And so it's, it's not just being good, but it's understanding like, how do you even fit into this world? And right. what's like your place and where can you um, add to the conversation? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a hard thing in itself. I mean, getting good at at the uh, the craft is one thing, but then figuring out the formula of success or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, that's hard. Yeah. And so... Um, it's that's kind of cool that you had the opportunity to be able to just jump in and and do that. So, uh what um what it, like were some like takeaways that you got from that? Like whether it be learning about how to how your stuff can fit into these, you know, into the selling things at galleries. We, because I mean, we we always have that thought like, well, I don't want to sell out and just paint something that I don't like just so it sells. Right. Mm-hmm. But what you're describing is understanding what's selling and figuring out how what you enjoy can within that space. Right. It, it can fit there. Right. And so you're not selling out to just to paint something that you don't like. So so what was your takeaway there? How did you how did you figure that out? Yeah, I mean, it was honestly like throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what sticks at first like um even in my undergrad the final um project that you had to do at the end of the bachelor's degree was have a solo exhibition in the arts building and um i was just like there wasn't a real cohesive sense to my show like there was a figure in every painting but there wasn't like a, a really clear series direction Mm -hmm. and so I was just doing a bunch of paintings and 
um, more than half of the work from my student show ended up selling. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was like me just trying to figure out what are people responding to and what am I responding to? And a lot of the time it was the same thing. Mm-hmm. So whatever was real to me and whatever I felt really strongly about doing was what defines my work the most. Like, so for instance, when we lived in New York and I had my friend Anna, that was this beautiful model. I was so scared to ask her if she wanted to be in a painting. I was just like thinking about it. And like months later, I was still thinking about it. And I mean, it probably took me a year to get up the courage to ask her if she would model for me. That's how nervous I was. But I just felt like in my gut, this is something I have to do. And that painting that I did ended up being a piece that like won the awards and like got on the magazine cover and got me into galleries and was like one of my first professional gallery painting sales. And so there's really like no formula. It's just feeling like intuitive what you know you should be doing Mm. and most of the time the painting that I was doing I felt like opposed to opposed what something that an art professor had said was actually what art was Mm -hmm. and so for me it was kind of exciting and scary to say like I'm going to do something that feels like I'm rebelling in some Mm -hmm. way right? right but I'm going to take this into my own hands and in the meantime, I'm going to live as cheaply as possible. <laughs> right. <laughs> you kind of have to do that when you're an artist. <laughs> yeah, you do. You you do for a long time. I mean, my dream was to own a home. Mm-hmm. And we were married for 11 years before we had enough money to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I knew I wanted to be a mom, but I was like willing to sacrifice. Like it was eight years of marriage before we started having kids Mm -hmm. because it was a lot of sacrifice and a lot of um, trying to spread that dollar as thin as possible. And while I had time to figure out how to make this art career happen, but um, yeah, I mean, the awesome thing is the, the time and how we live now with social media, you get so much more exposure so quickly. And I know like galleries are just scouring Instagram, looking at whatever new art is coming out of whatever mm-hmm. schools or places. And so it's, it is a lot easier to get discovered. For right. sure. Was there a time where you, you maybe doubted that this was going to work out? And uh, what, what did that look like? How, how did, how were you able to get through that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, Basically, the whole time I was in school, I was doubting. I had teachers that were saying, you know, of all of you in this entire classroom, this entire semester, like none of you will do something I haven't seen before. Hmm. That's a weird (laughs) thing to say to a class. Yeah. Or like statistically looking at how many students there are in the room and how many of those students will actually like have a career doing this, Hmm. you know, and like teachers would remind you of those statistics. And I think it was supposed to be this like really strong motivation of 
you know. Sounds like a downer to me. (laughs) Yeah. So I was terrified of, you know, being out of school and being in the real world. Mm -hmm. Um, Luckily, I did have a teacher that um, I mentor, was my mentor for part of the time I was in Utah, William Whitaker. And he passed away a couple of years ago. But I would go to his studio and he would say, he would tell me things like, you were born to do this and you can do this. And, you know, you will be successful if you keep working. Like it's going to take time, but you can do this. Mm-hmm. And so for me, having the validation from someone that I thought knew what they were talking about made a huge difference like once I felt confident in my ability even though at the time I didn't actually have very much ability um once I felt like somebody believed in me and somebody besides just my mom you know Mm -hmm. right (laughs) mom always appreciates the art (laughs) she still has a painting I did from like sixth grade hanging up in her house and she thinks it's the best thing I ever did (laughs) you know to to her it probably it probably is you know because yeah. she has like, she has the memory of you as a child, right? And and all of that emotion connected to it. And uh, I don't think anyone will ever have that with one of your paintings. Yeah, right. Yeah, only your mom. Only her, mm-hmm. yeah. But I mean, and then like fast forward to once, once I was in galleries, then even if work is selling, like if all of a sudden you send one painting to a gallery that doesn't sell... Sometimes they'll start to doubt whether they want to keep you. Oh, wow. And I mean, not every gallery, but some galleries. Mm-hmm. And or like, say you send a group of work that does really well and then you do something else and it doesn't sell as well. Like you honestly have no idea whenever you're making the work. Like you just have to go with your gut and what you feel. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that can all be fine, like, especially if you have a spouse that makes, um, like, a stable income. Right, right. You know, and a lot of artists do. A lot of artists don't. But, like, there was there was a time during, um, during COVID when, like, gallery sales weren't really working. Mm-hmm. They were closed. People weren't really buying. And um, my husband is, he, he studied opera singing and directing mm-hmm. and went all the way through a doctorate in that. And like during COVID, um, everything that he'd been singing working at shut got cut. Down. Yeah, completely mm-hmm. shut down. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's no matter whether you're starting out or whether you're established, like there's no guarantees of anything, mm-hmm. you know. And so you just have to, like for me, it's not a matter of how do I get through this? It's a matter of. Like, I honestly feel like I can't live without making art. Yeah, without making art. And so if I don't, as long as I have that, mm-hmm. like, that's what I really need. Yeah. And uh, and as you were saying with, um, sorry, Whitaker, I can't remember his first name. William. William Whitaker. Uh, in that instance, he kind of helped encourage it rather than discourage it like the, the school was. And uh, and so, uh, so I imagine well, and that, other people were encouraging, too, right, right. but he was And I imagine your husband's really encouraging. very encouraging of, of your art. Oh, he so. always thought I was amazing. <laughs> like, no matter how bad my art was early on. <laughs> I, that's hard so. for me to imagine you ever being bad at art, but I, I've never seen your, hey, your early stuff. Hey, I didn't stuff, get so. in the program. 
Right. So, that's so mind-boggling to me. And I, I met you when you were in evidence. your I met you when you were in your <laughs> master's program at the U and so for yes. me I'm just like how? <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> uh, but uh so what is uh what is something that you wish that you knew better or understood better before you started on your path? Yeah, I mean I would say like I wish that older me could talk to younger me mm-hmm. and say like you have you got this mm-hmm. like you have determination and you know not everyone that loves something and is determined will make it mm-hmm. um and i didn't i didn't believe in my abilities and i didn't like i would compare myself to others and think this is better than what I'm doing. And it would be like this really strong burden, Mm -hmm. not knowing like how will I ever get from A to B or like A to Z where I would, you know, where John Singer Sargent is like, how do I ever get to that point? But I wish that I could go back and say, you love this. This is what matters to you and you will figure it out. Mm -hmm. You will, work your butt off until you understand what it takes and no matter what anybody says like keep at it because this will work out and like I didn't have that reassurance from anyone I just knew that like going into the arts was risky Mm -hmm. and some people make it and a lot of people don't yep and so if if I could just like go back and like tell myself like just kind of erase that doubt part just to get you yeah. more focused. Well, and even like the choice of schools where I went to, mm-hmm. I go to this one. <laughs> don't don't even worry about that one. <laughs> yeah. I I played it safe. I was like I don't oh, okay. want to take on a lot of student loan debt. Right. And so like there were schools that I could have gone to and probably learned even mm-hmm. more quickly and gotten more connections more quickly. And but there's all there's the risk of rejection, and then there's also the it's more expensive. You know that's also another risk. Yeah, too. I mean, some of my friends so. that I worked with in New York City had two hundred thousand dollars student loan debt from art school, and they wow. weren't good enough to have art careers. Wow. And so, like that was a, and they were so bitter mm-hmm. <laughs> about it, right? Because that basically crippled them from ever being able to even be an artist in their future. And they mm. made that decision when they were just a like a baby in their early 20s. Right. With no idea of what their future held. Right. And so it's... And so you knowing that your capabilities now, you would go back and tell yourself not choose that school. Yeah, right? I, I would have just, just said go, like... Go all in, right? Go all in, be a little less fearless... But when, a little more fearless. Yes, a little more <laughs> fearless. <laughs> but it's hard when you're like trying to save money and making yourself like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches right. to but, say like, yeah, I'm going to take on this like mm-hmm. thousands and thousands of dollars every semester tuition. Right. So, so um, and... <sighs> And I, I think that kind of segues into like just any advice that you would give to an artist that is starting out, um, like you know, just looking at schools, you know, and graduating high schools, and like, what would you, what would your advice to them be? Yeah, I mean, it 
it's hard for me because, like, I didn't feel like I had anybody guiding me of knowing what to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't even have somebody help me get into the art program when I was starting school. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I didn't have a high school art teacher that kind of said, you need to create a body of work that they can look at otherwise you won't even like get into school. I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't know anything. And so having to having to figure things out on my own I think was really great in a lot of ways because it like I I didn't feel like anything was just given to me. Mm-hmm. I felt like everything that I did I earned. And at the same time um you know I see people that like have a lot of ability, but yet they love a lot of things in life. Mm-hmm. They're not just maybe like obsessed with this one artistic mm-hmm. endeavor. And so I, you know, it's like for me, if I have a day off of like a holiday or whatever, I'm not going to say, yeah, I would love to go on vacation. Like, for me, a holiday is like, oh, can I still work? Because that's what I want to do. <laughs> right. You want to paint. <laughs> because that's what that's, makes me happiest. That's what John told me. John Erickson at the U. Remember John? Oh, yeah. That's, I was like, which John? John Singer Sargent. No, yeah. You know, <laughs> me and John Singer Sargent, we just sat down one day. No, but John Erickson up, up at the U, uh, that's what he told me once. He said, you have to be obsessed with this. Yeah. And and I think he's I think he's right, and I think a, a lot of artists are are like me, where it's we get really passionate about something, but I just um, I don't know if I lack grit or if I just get frustrated, and then I have to move on to something else. And so, and I I think um, I think you're right that that obsession has to be there. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's. It's to the point now where, like, I kind of understand what of my work will do well in a gallery even mm-hmm. before I start it. Like, I have an idea whether this type of painting and this size would sell at this price. And maybe, like, as soon as I'm done with it, I know if somebody's going to want to buy it immediately or maybe if mm-hmm. it's going to take a little bit longer. Yeah, and that only comes with the experience that you have, though. Right, but... I only got there because I painted so much that I loved it, whether it was going to sell or not. Right. And I didn't know how to, like, be happy if I wasn't doing that. Mm-hmm. Like, I go a whole weekend with, I don't know, family coming in from out of town or my kids having a lot of birthday parties they have to go to or you know, just like all this time out of my studio. And if it's been like more than two days that I haven't been just like centering myself in my studio and working on a painting, I get grouchy. Yeah. And um, so you're like, I got to do, I got to do some painting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like breathing. Hmm. And so once, once it's there and you do have to have a certain amount of like natural talent as well. Right. But once you're once you're at that point, you're going to figure out what will work mm-hmm. because you you will work so hard that like it doesn't even feel like you're working. Mm-hmm. Like I've been in the studio all day long and 
just immersed in this painting that just totally captures me and the entire day has gone by and like sometimes I'll forget to eat or, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, and it's like this incredible high when you've made this painting or this creative work and you feel like you didn't even make it. It just kind of appeared. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to explain that. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Mary. Uh, This has been a good show. It's a bit longer than we usually have, but it's been a great conversation. Um, I tend to do that with the art, like the painting and drawing artists that come on, (laughs) but um, that's that's okay. But uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. Uh, Where can people find your stuff? Just, Just before we go, let us know that. Yeah, so I'm probably most up to date with my Instagram, just Mary Sour Art. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also in, um, I've got work that I'm sending to Arcadia Gallery in New York City and a solo show coming up in Boston at Sloan Merrill Gallery this fall. Mm-hmm. And then I have work in Park City at Meyer Gallery. Okay, great. Awesome. Thank you again so much. This was a great conversation. I hope it was helpful for anyone out there that's uh, an artist, becoming an artist, or has been an artist and just needs a little inspiration. Uh, Just make sure you check out Mary Sour Art. Uh, Also check out our other episodes of The Path of Art. We have uh, painters, drawers, singers, songwriters, you name it, we've we've had a bunch of artists on there. Uh, This has been another episode of The Path of Art, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to The Path of Art. If you or someone you know is creative and would like to tell your story, reach out to me at rmeeks at ksl.com. I might feature you on the show. If you liked our conversation, please make sure you follow the show and give us a five-star rating and review. It really does help people to discover the show. Also, make sure you follow The Path of Art podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.